please stand to hear the reading of God's most holy word, which will be the text for the sermon this morning, Romans 3, 27 through 31. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. But what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that, our, that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. For is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? No, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. As a congregation, we are working through several memory verses, and one of them is Romans 6, 1 through 4, and so I'm going to ask us to, to read us aloud together. Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Please be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Rusty Smith. I have the privilege of serving as an elder here at this church, and I'm also privileged to be able to bring the word this morning. Beth and I traveled last year to Italy, and if you're like me, on the way back you have too much stuff. And so I remember being in the airport with our big suitcases, trying to put stuff in and having her sit on it while I tried to zipper it and, and, and weighing it. That's how I feel this morning. That's your warning. Okay? We have a lot to cover here, and I will do my best to get it all into the suitcase. The good news is, what we're going to cover today, Paul will actually spend the next rest of the, essentially the rest of Romans, reviewing this. And so, as a, as a uh, teacher... I've been a physical therapist now for 43 years, the last 23 years full-time teaching. I love the idea of repeating, repetition, and coming back. And so, so I told Brian, if I mess this sermon up, that's fine. He's got the next, you know, six, seven chapters to be able to clean this up easily. Okay, so that's, that's where we are. So let's begin in prayer. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your promise to be our God, and for us to be your people. And Lord, we thank you that you deserve all praise and merit for that relationship. May we today grow deeper in our understanding of your gospel and the implications thereof. Lord, I pray specifically that my prayers would be true to you and the hearts of your people here today would be changed. Help us as we consider your free gift of justification, and may we walk all the closer to you. Lord Jesus, 
We thank you, and we pray in your name. Amen. As I said, I've been in education for 23 years, and I have a phrase that I use with the students all the time, and I say, beware of people with answers and seek people with questions. Beware of people with answers and seek people with questions, because they will continue your growth. And it's so exciting to read this part from me, of Paul, because he asks questions. That's what stimulates the discussion. Also, as a teacher, one of the things I like to do is to try to capture what it is that you've learned through the process. And so if you look at the, uh, the outline that's provided for you in the bulletin, and I'll encourage you to take notes like I do my students. In there, at the very end, it says personal reflections. At the end of this sermon, my hope is to spend maybe just a minute for you to write down what your reflections are. What are you walking away with this morning? Where is God speaking to you? No doubt, not because of what I'm sharing, but just simply reading the, God, the Word of God. He'll be speaking to you. And so my hope is that you can capture those reflections. So that's sort of the homework, if you would, at the end of, of this sermon. Somewhat different, but you can understand based upon my background. My approach this morning is like in all view, all reading and studying Scripture, is to th- consider the context. And I think there are four major areas that we need to think about here uh, as we read these verses. First context, context is going to be man's condition. And we've been hearing that repeatedly through the two and a half chapters we've been reading. What is man's condition? And you're going to hear it one more time briefly. Justification by faith is something we looked at last week. Brian uh, gave a sermon on that. We're going to review portions of that. And then also I think it's important for us to step back and look at the, the dynamics that are going on within that church of Rome. That church of Rome, very similar to us. Uh, however, somewhat, there's some division between the Jews and the Gentiles, and we'll come back to that. And then the big macro picture is going to be looking at the scriptures in light of God's covenant relationship with his people throughout the ages. Context one, man's condition. Romans 1, 21 through 22. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. As I was preparing for this sermon, sometimes I have music on in the background. And this will tell you what kind of music I listen to. And suddenly there came on a song that reminded me, it came out in 1969. Some of you might remember it. You might remember actually it live, so to speak, at the time. But uh, nonetheless, it, the, the uh, song is My Way by Frank Sinatra. Beth has convinced me not to sing it. Okay, but I do want to read a couple of the lyrics. It was later deemed by NPR to be the celebration of man's self-determination. And as I went and looked at the lyrics and was listening to the listening to the song, it was like he agrees. That Paul Anka wrote it, by the way. Paul Anka wrote it, but Paul Anka agrees with Paul, but he's proud of it, if you would. My wife. And now the end is here. And so I face that final curtain. My friend, I'll make it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And much, much more. I did it. I did it my way. 
Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and I spit it out. I faced it all, and I stood tall, and I did it my way. Last verse. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. Not to say the things that he truly feels, and not the words of someone who kneels, not the words of someone who kneels. Let the record show I took all the blows and I did it my way. That's our culture. We celebrate, we celebrate our own self-determination and our pride. Ironically, there's no discussion of God's wrath in that song, is there? Church dynamics in Rome. Romans, the book of Romans was probably written somewhere around the late 51 AD, or maybe early 52 AD, and the church at that time was struggling between the Jewish and Gentile members. The Jews had been exiled by Emperor Claudius in the mid-40s for several years, and just recently returned. And as an elder, I got to thinking, what did the session happen? What happened to the session? The elders left, so the session became all Gentiles. They started developing policies, and then suddenly they came back, and I mean, worship had changed, all kinds of dynamics had changed within the church. So you can imagine the tensions that would exist. And that's what Paul is speaking into in many ways here. So we need to understand the Roman church dynamics as we look at this. Third context, God's covenant relationship with mankind throughout the ages. Last week, Brian looked at the, the, the embryonic presentation of the gospel in Romans, I'm sorry, in Gen, Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So from the very beginning, God desired to have a people. And even then, he pointed to Christ as the way that we could come to him, that we'd be justified by our faith in the Lord Jesus. Abraham, Genesis 17. Behold my, sorry, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. And it's verse 7 of 17. And I will establish my covenant between you, me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God and to, to you and to your offspring after you. So we, as we're reading these words from Paul, we need to realize this has been going on since Genesis, before Genesis. And we see that throughout all of the Old Testament, which we won't go over. I will mention, I, I do know that the women have been studying Habakkuk in Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous will live by his faith. So something that, again, it's not new. Paul is not giving a new definition, a new covenant, but rather is going back and following through God's desire over the ages to be our God. Hebrews 11, one of my favorite chapters, the Hall of Faith. Essentially, is the history of God's relationship with his people and the centrality of faith. My hope and prayer would be that you have a chance to sit down sometime and just meditate on looking at that because that shows the long, since, since the time of Genesis, the long-range 
relationship that God has had with his people and continues to have. The last context for us to consider is what we studied last week, and that is the justification by faith. So today we'll consider Paul's reflections on the impact of that gospel, but let's look at what the gospel actually was. So if you remember from Brian's sermon, God is a righteous God. We're looking at Romans 3, 21 through 26. God is a righteous God who expects his creatures to be righteous. And remember we said righteous meant to be right. Romans 3.11, here's the challenge. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. So you see, God is a righteous God and a holy God and a just God. So therefore, he is unable to fellowship with those who are unrighteous. For the wrath of God, in Romans 1.18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. So the question Brian posed was, how can any of us stand before a righteous God? And Paul shares a message that we can because God took upon himself to appease and satisfy his own wrath through Jesus, who was the propitiation for us actually propitiation for God. He made man right through the justification by faith and now we can stand before him because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So as we move forward, what's, in some ways this wasn't new to the Roman church, but they had moved away in many ways from the law of faith and thinking more of a law of works. The scriptures in many ways were considered to be do's and don'ts as opposed to God desiring to have a relationship. For those of you that are waiting for um, props, unfortunately, I don't have too many. They wouldn't fit into the suitcase. So the one I did bring, what are these? Anybody know what these are? Ostrich feathers. You know how long it took me to chase down an ostrich and get these out of, not, not an ostrich, listen to me. I just blanked. It's a peacock, thank you. No wonder I didn't get it. I was chasing an ostrich. For some reason, when I thought of the concept of boasting, I went to an ostrich, right? You know how ostrich, I'll do it again. We went to a peacock. Our peacock, you know, they, they, they puff up and show their feathers like that. Are you with me? Um, during Thanksgiving, I thought to myself, you know, a peacock is nothing more than a turkey just decked, ducked out, really dressed up. And, isn't that true? Right? Sort of. Uh, in any case, um, so that's for those of you that like me to have props. But Brian has had more... I don't need this, do I? Brian has had more impact on me than he realizes. I try to write big, okay, and few. But in a, in a sense, this is, this is my outline, if you would, of Genesis, 27 through, uh, Genesis 3, 27 through 31. It didn't make the bulletin. Brian can attest to that there's some curse of the bulletin deadline. Because no sooner you put something in the bulletin, you realize, like two days later, God gives you this other way. Oh, no, this is what you want to teach it. Right? So, Brian, am I right? So, in any case, we had the gospel. And if we think of Romans 1, 16 and 17, for the gospel is the power of God. If I was a good at drawing, I would try to make this, like, electrical shock coming out of it or something. Okay? Because it's the gospel, and it's through faith that we are made right. That was the, that's what we learned last week, and we'll continue to build on that. Where we are this week is Paul says, okay, 
Now, what are the implications of this? What's the impact of that? And we're going to look at three imp impacts. Boast not, no distinctions, and we're going to establish the law. In a nutshell, that's it. So if you want to check out, I'll tell you when to check back in. Okay? So, Romans 1, 16, 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So right from the very beginning, he's thinking about Jews and Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Thank you, sorry. They're my favorites, though. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So we now look at Romans 3, 27 through 31. Paul asks the question, then what becomes of our boasting? In each of these questions, we'll ask a question, he gives a short answer and a short rationale. I'll make it a little longer. It's amazing what he's done though. Boasting. Why boasting? I mean, this whole build-up as to what God has done through faith, faith, he's made it, we're right now. And we're going to talk about boasting? To me, that was somewhat of a Debbie Downer. I don't know if we still say that or not, but that's what we used to say. Um, that was disappointing in some way to say, ah, this is not what I expected. But then I got to thinking about it, and boasting is nothing more, if you would, than the expression of a deeper issue in your heart, and that would be pride, right? And so it's amazing how, how committed we are to pride. It's in our DNA, and basically, it really is the chief cause of all man's failures throughout the scripture. Let's go back and pick on Adam and Eve again, Genesis 3. But the serpent said to the woman, listen to the context of the temptation, you will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, appealing to the pride. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18, 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That's the, the start. They think they were righteous, and they treated others with contempt. You hear the pride and the boasting? Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like that other man, those other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So I think Paul, in looking at at the truth of the gospel 
that sadly the impact is we are so dedicated to our own pride that it can be stirred up even in the presence of the good news of Jesus' sacrifice. And, and what do we have to boast about? We don't do any good. Salvation was totally him. It's by faith alone. But yet we boast. Twenty-seven. The, the, uh, so the question, what becomes of our boasting? The answer, it is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. The word excluded, boasting is excluded. The, the Greek word there is to shut out, to close the door. Actually a sense of slamming the door. Paul basically says, in today's vernacular, zero tolerance policy for any boasting of by any believer. Zero tolerance. It indicates a pride, a heart of pride. Then he says, what excluded it? By what kind of law? By law of works? In some ways you would think it would be by the law of works because we can't we can't do the works to become righteous. But rather, Paul says, no, by the law of faith, apart from the works of law. You see, faith is a gift. And we'll see that later in Ephesians 2. It's a gift. And boasting upon receiving a gift makes no sense. I agonize for days on trying to come up with a an analogy, I love analogies on this. And so, and I read and I looked at the commentaries and very few things are Smith original, very few things. I steal most of the stuff. This is a Smith original, so it's either gonna go this way or that way. Beth and I were blessed to have three children and I was present for both of their births, all, all three births. Yeah, three and two, both. So Beth, Beth I was there. And one of the things I noticed during the birthing process, one of many things, but the one that we'll talk about today, is that when the baby came out, none of them were asking for a high five or a pat on the back because they did a great job. Right? They just received the gift of life, and they came out boasting. We saw the boasting later in their lives, trust me. That's the best analogy I can think of. It gets close to the situation. But Paul knew that the pride is so deep within us that we would go to boasting. Right? Makes no sense. I mean, can you imagine a baby coming out, high five, fist bump? No. Okay. So the summary of implication one is faith excludes boasting. There's no room for boasting. Zero tolerance. Thus, our theology of our redemption should humble us and caution us as we are tempted to boast. Second question, verse 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of law. Sorry, sorry 29. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. So where is that coming from? Again, Paul understands his audience. He realizes now that this church has different views of salvation, if you would. They have different backgrounds, different history. 
the Jews, the Gentiles. And now with what they've been through, there's been creating some tension there. And he needs to address that. And we see this throughout all the scripture. Galatians, Paul talks at the same time. This is an ongoing process, right? As his church goes from being largely Jewish now to including all nations. So that's why the question. The answer. I love this. Yes, of Gentiles also. Right? What's the rationale? Verse 30. Interesting answer. The rationale. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? God is one. Paul takes an interesting twist here in terms of his logic. Very important to the Jews was a monotheistic view of our God. Very monotheistic view. And so, I mean, this in some ways points to the Shema, which we don't have time to go into, but very much this was part of the Jewish thought process. God is one. So if there was a different way for salvation for the Gentiles, a different way of salvation for the Jews, then that would be, God would not be one, but he'd be divided. And so he had to bring them together. And that's, that's his, his background. His rationale for his answer is, it is Gentiles as well, and it's because God is one. And those who are circumcised will be justified by faith, and those who are uncircumcised will be justified by faith. One God, one pathway to God. John Stott has an interesting uh, perspective on this in his commentary, which I'll read. It's a little bit lengthy, but I think it, it does a better job of anything I could come up with to just try to, try to articulate where he identifies that faith removes all distinctions. This identical truth, he says, applies to all other distinctions, whether of race, nationality, class, sex, or age. Not that all such distinctions are actually obliterated, for men remain men and women women, Jews are still circumcised and Gentiles uncircumcised. Our, our skin pigmentation does not change, and we, we still have the same passport. But these continuing distinctions are rendered of no significant account. Again, these continuing distinctions are rendered of no significant account. They neither affect our relationship with God or hinder our fellowship with one another. At the foot of Christ's cross and through faith in him, we are all on exactly the same level. Indeed, sisters and brothers in Christ. The message is simple. All who believe in Jesus belong to the same family and should be eating at the same table. Knowing that this was going to be communion, I thought that was appropriate. All who believe in Jesus belong to the same family and should be eating at the same table. That is what Paul's doctrine of justification is all about, John Stott pins. So the first two points, faith excludes boasting, faith removes all distinctions. If you think about it, Boasting is impacting our relationship with God. We're growing in our relationship with the Lord. No distinctions, we're growing in our relationship with God's people. The third implication, verse 31. Do we then overthrow the faith, sorry, do we then overthrow the law by his faith? Do we then overthrow the law by his faith? There's no doubt that Paul had been hearing these types of questions 
as he traveled along his missionary journeys. And this, was, this is one you see come up repeatedly, I think particularly in Galatians and other locations where this whole, then what is the purpose of the law? The answer here is by no means. Some versions say may it never be. Now, I am a second-hand Greek expert, okay? Usually means commentary and, hey, Brian, what does this mean? That's usually my, it's just so you realize, when I start throwing out Greek terms, okay, uh, I really like this Greek word, these two Greek, two Greek words. And I know I'm not going to say it right, but bear with me, but you won't know either. Meganito. That almost sounds like a spell, doesn't it? Meganito, which is the strongest, most emphatic negative that can be conveyed in the Greek language is what I read. Meganito. Hardcore, no, no way, a thousand times no. May it never be that the law would be nullified. Meganito. It's like that sound. Meganito. On the contrary, so there's a no, but then what, we still have a law. What do we do with the law? He says, on the contrary, we uphold the law. We lift it up. We support the law. So earlier we saw that the law was separated from faith, but now as we move forward, somehow there's a relationship, a parallel relationship with them. And we see this also in Jesus' words in Matthew 5, where he identified he came to fulfill the law. 5.17 Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You see, salvation never depends upon, sorry, salvation never depends upon the law. That's where the Jews, and quite honest, we get it wrong. Salvation never depends upon the law. Faith is not overthrowing the law, but rather it's coming alongside of and upholding the law. Major paradigm shift for the Romans where they were. One of the purposes of the law, as we know, is to show our sins and the need for salvation outside ourselves. As I reflected on this, I really came to the realization, even in my own life, when I came to know the Lord, my, my this was 40 some odd years ago, uh, my words were basically, hey, I've messed up, so let's see if you can do better. That was pretty much my prayer of faith. Okay? I've grown since then, and he's done a great job. Continues to humble me. But my initial for years view of my relationship with the Lord was, okay, I've got the, the eternal card check, I'm going to heaven, and now I just got to do my best to keep him happy in the meantime. That was my theology. And I realized I've been studying it still that way a little bit. I'm still there. And I suspect you might be too. Right? So it's because I don't really understand the law. As I went back and looked at the law, the law basically is given to the, to the Jews to reflect who God is. 
And again, we don't have time, but you might look at the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. It's there. It's, it's God's communication with us. He knows how we are. He made us. He created us. He knows what, what will make us happy. He knows, again, that, we are, that what's the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, how do we do that? That's where the scriptures come in. That's where the law comes in. So it's not do's and don'ts. It's just guidelines. It's communication. Right? And that's what Paul is communicating here. And quite honestly, it really touched me. Douglas Moo, in the commentary, writes, There's nothing at all wrong with doing the law, according to Paul. The problem, rather, is when we do the law and regard it as an achievement, right? Because now we feed into what? It's an achievement we feed into our boasting, into our pride. It is not the basis of which a relationship with God can be established or maintained. It's wrong because justification can come only by faith, not only now that Christ has been revealed, but also in the past. Let's move. Another way of putting it is, as I was considering this, is I, I think in many ways I still wrestle with a transactional view of this relationship with the Lord. Very transactional. I do this, you should do that. Right? I got some great ideas. My prayer life even represents that. But I think what Paul is suggesting, not suggesting, but what Paul is demanding here and the Lord is demanding is that we have a transformational. We see that in Romans 12, verses 1 through 3 as well. It talks about that's by being transformed. That's our, that's our spiritual service of worship. Um, so summary. Faith upholds and establishes the law. So if you think, boast not, again, growth in our relationship with the Lord, growth in our relationship with one another, and now growth in our understanding of the law. Last page. This is the time of reflection. How might you personalize Paul's thoughts on justification by faith alone and the implications on how we relate to our God, relate to others, and how we relate to the law. How might you do that? And for those of you that have pen and the paper there, write down a word or two that just triggers that. As I tell my students, learning goes up when you write your answers on paper. Studies, evidence-based learning, evidence-based teaching shows that. And that's what I'm trying to do here as well. How is Paul speaking to you today? If you're an unbeliever, you're not here coincidentally. God has you here for a purpose. What are you hearing from him? Believer. How is Paul talking to you today about boasting? About the distinctions in your view of God's people? 
And what is your view of the law? Are you more transactional, do's and don'ts? Or are you understanding the, re the calling to be transformational? That's the question before us. Let us pray. Father, I, I thank you that you touch us with your grace, that you, the creator, desires to walk with us, the created. We thank you, Lord, that you indeed paid the price, that you deserve all praise. It is on your merit that we are justified. May we only boast in you and your holiness. I pray that each one of us would grow closer to you. Father, I pray that each one of us here today would work diligently to build one another up, to truly show each other that we are brothers and sisters, and to show the world that too. And Lord, pray that you would give us a deeper appreciation of your word. Grow us. Father, may we be humbled by you and through your word. But again, Lord, may we realize and be transformed by your word. Jesus, we thank you for your work on the cross to ensure our righteousness and that we can have that relationship. Lord, we thank you, and it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.